Hold. Right then, hello and welcome to the Big Pezza podcast. I'm your host, Big Pezza. And today's podcast, we are going to be talking about, well, I guess, camping. Have I talked about it before in a podcast? If I have, rambled on for 20 minutes and I'm sure you'll listen again for 20 minutes. When did I get into camping? Why do I like camping on the motorbike? And uh, my preferred setup, I guess. So, um, why did I camp on a motorbike? When did I start doing it? I didn't actually start camping on motorbikes until I think quite late in my motorbiking career. I think I had been, let's think, I had been riding motorbikes for about six years. I had been going on trips, like longer trips, because I think for the first few years, four years, I was just using it as to commute. So I wasn't really, um, or day trips out, I wasn't really going on like holidays, holidays. Uh, then like after three years of ownership, I started going further and further afield, eventually having little trips here and there, but I stayed in hotels. And the reason for that was because I had staff discount. So why didn't, why wouldn't I stay in hotels? I went uh, to hotels, I stayed in hotels, I got them for relatively cheap. Um, we're talking like 30 euros a night for a five-star hotel, no joke. Crown plazas, holiday inns, that sort of thing. Because if you worked for that company or the uh, certain group, then you would get some really nice staff discounts. Um, really nice staff discounts. Once I had four of us in a hotel um, for a, a night, um, two rooms, and I think it came to just under £90 for both rooms. And we also had 50% off our food and drinks. That is the only plus side about working in hotels. If you know, well, you've probably listened to some of the podcasts, the stories I've told, but the story I'll tell at the end will be uh, will be uh, a funny one because we've got uh, the clocks changing soon as well. So it's kind of um, topical. But anyway, back on with camping. Like I said, I didn't start camping until I was later on in life. Oh, and if you hear anything in the background, I'm looking around my workshop at the moment, um, adding stuff to my uh, thing because I want to... Uh, clear some stuff out my uh, junk drawer shall we say I'm going to be selling some stuff uh, next week at a bike jumble and maybe even sell a motorbike but sorry back on with the subject at hand which is camping so why did I start camping I think it started off when we were like we want to go to a bike we, we primarily were road riders and we were doing a bit of trail riding um, and my friend James who had a who had had big adventure bikes, he was always thinking we should get big adventure bikes and go on longer trips. It was him who said, let's do the Stella Alpina. It was him who said, why don't I get a BMW? Um, and stuff like that, which I didn't, I you know really didn't want to at first, but I eventually did. And uh, I haven't regretted it. Anyway, so we decided to start going on further and further journeys. When you start going to bike rallies, most bike rallies, I mean, we just did our own thing. Me and my friends, we just did our own thing, so it wasn't really a problem. But once you start going to bike rallies, that's when you see that camping is the preferred method because you camp right next to your bike. So a lot of my first camp trips were just going to rallies. Although the first couple of camp, uh, the first ever camping trip I did, um, 
I believe was not a rally. It was just a test one nighter, stay somewhere, test, you know, the camp and everything. We, we, you know, you quickly find out what you need, don't need. I think um, I slept okay and slept nice and warm. I think uh, my compadre, James at the time, said, nah, but we did actually share a tent. So we spent, um, we actually did a few days camping and we shared tents, um, which was, I guess, the cheaper option, but he eventually did get his own tent. Um, but yes, anyway, um, camping. Got to it late because of the rallies. And then once I realized that, you know what, camping's not just for going to bike rallies, camping is the way forward because when I was staying at hotels, I was always worried about leaving my motorbike in the car park. I don't like leaving them in the car park. I don't like leaving my bike anywhere outside of my visual eyesight. Um, I've had too many bikes stolen, so I don't like that. Staying at a campsite means that I can have the majority of the campsites. There's some campsites that don't allow you to park next to your pitch, but you can usually position your tent in a way that as soon as you open it, you can see the bike right there in front of you, which is the best view from a tent is your motorcycle. I mean, I mean, you know, if it's picturesque mountains and a lake perhaps, or, 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 you know, hurtling, cattling of wildebeest, you know, meandering through the scenery in the background and yeah. Um, no, as long as you can see the motorbike somewhere between the land and the sky in front of you and it's not moving anywhere, I'm happy with that. So yes, um, I, I, I really like that. The fact that you can just pop your bike outside, boom, 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 done, pack your tent up and away you go. And the second best region is it's cheap. Well, it used to be cheap camping. Since we had this whole um, <clears throat> thing um, and certain lockdowns and stuff, campsites have hiked their prices up. So we found campsites have gone from about eight pound to 12 pound, and then ones from 12 pound to 24 pound. So to find a really good cheap campsite it's harder and harder nowadays. I really prefer just paying a tenner and getting a campsite. Um, I know if you book online, you're going to get the space, but you probably pay a booking fee. So it'd be cheaper sometimes to roll up on the day, but then you're not guaranteed to get in because it could be full, especially um, as the campsites in a, the past couple of years have been absolutely chocker, fully booked and everything with um, no one actually leaving the country. But this year, hopefully... People will go back to Spain and we can carry on camping like normal people. Camping is cheap. It's cheaper than a hotel. It's cheaper than a thing. People can complain about hotels. Oh, you pay so much for a hotel and you get this. Yes, but you're paying for the standard. Okay, you're paying £100 for that room, but you're paying for the standard. You're paying for a brand name. You're paying for the franchisee deal, all that stuff. So yes, that room is probably only worth about 30, 40 quid a night but you're paying that £100 or whatever because you're guaranteed to get a hot shower. You're guaranteed to get the following amenities, you know, things. And you can roll the dice with a B&B because it just says B&B, bed for the night. Is it a shared bathroom? Is it a shared shower facilities? You don't know. Um, you're not guaranteed anything sort of thing with the B&B, but, you know, they're cheap. Campsites, got everything with you. Do what you want, essentially, which I prefer much better. Um, you know, everywhere's a puke area. So if you drink too much in the night, you can open your tent, hopefully in time and puke outside your tent. It doesn't really matter because yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, uh, well, uh, it kind of does cause you know, only if you puke inside your tent, uh, 
not that I puke much, just sometimes I uh, get overly carried away and uh, I tend to, uh, it's usually the food. I find it's the heavy meat. It's the combination of, of meat and drink. It really does me in. I think I think I need to stop having like um, burgers and stuff when I go because if you're like, just ease up on the food a bit, then I think all the fat and gristle, you know, all the fatty foods and stuff really just upset me. I'm not drunk drunk, or that drunk. Um, but anyway, um, I digress. I got off topic. Uh, camping is just my cheap preferred method of travel now. Um, and I really don't want to go back to our hotels ever again. Um, I really don't. But I, unfortunately, this year there will be some hotels in my trips, in my travels. Um, I think I've got a wedding to go to. Ugh. Um, so, oh, actually the person whose wedding I'm going to might be listening to this podcast. So um, let me rephrase that. I've got a wedding to go to and I cannot wait. Well, I can wait. It's not too big of a deal. All I've got to do is go up there, um, listen to someone talk a bit, and then have a drink. At least I don't think I'm doing photographs this year. It's pretty good. So it means I can drink. Well, hey. Um, so I've got a wedding to go to this year anyway. That's the only time I'm going to really stay in a hotel. Although I've got a couple of um, lodges booked for a uh, certain other trip this year. But other than that, I... I, I I just like camping. Just cheap weekend away. Fuel, put some fuel in the bike, campsite, maybe bring some food with you, maybe pick up some food on the way, cook your food by your campsite or whatever, or go down the pub. I mean, the thing is, because you're saving money going to a campsite, you've got more money for booze. So it's, it's a win-win for me. So that's why I like camping so much. I know people don't always like it. Oh, it's uncomfortable ground. It's, you know, okay, fine. You have to get the comfortable gear. Okay, it means you might be carrying more, but to be honest, I've got I've got a few sleeping bags and the sleeping bag that packs down the worst is the best sleeping bag. It's big, so I can move around in it and it's so warm um, I, to a point where it's too hot in the summer months. So I need to, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I'm thinking this summer when I go away on a certain trip, I will take my small sleeping bag because I'm only going to be camping a couple of nights. So if it gets cold in the night, eh, it's not too bad because I can probably deal with that. But the lovely warm sleeping bag for the rest of the time. Oh, I mean, yeah, okay, I've camped in all sorts of weathers and pouring rain, all that stuff. Okay, fine, that's not maybe the best. That's why I have a couple of movies on my phone just to um, wait out the time or an audio book to sit there and listen to an audio book in, in bed. It's not, it's not too bad. Not too bad at all. I, you know, I don't mind it so much. Some people... Yeah, if you find it really uncomfortable, you need to get the right gear. I've seen people with air mattresses that are thicker than my entire bed and mattress combined because it gives you that lift off the ground. And if that's what you're struggling with, then you have that. So it really does depend on what sort of gear you bring with you. But like I said, I only started camping really because it was because of bike rallies, basically because of bike rallies. And then I got a flavor for it, a taste for it. I got better at it. And now I've got my kit. I like my kit. I don't need to add to it really. I don't need to take away from it. Um, certain times I will have more, certain times I'll have less. Like if I'm doing a very quick weekend away, I probably won't have a chair with me. I'll just have the tent, sleeping bag, sleeping mat, and and the little hammer thing. And that's literally it. Maybe my inflatable pillow as well, but that's it. Like that's That fits into one roll bag easy, or even half a roll bag if I go with the smaller sleeping bag. 
um, which is basically just a glorified blanket at this point because it's so old. Um, but yeah, there's loads of different styles of camping you can do. I mean, I kind of want to get a bivy. Um, if I get um, more patronage money, I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful for the patron money that I get at the moment. It's, it's crazy because there's no way I'd be able to do what I'd be doing now, 100%. Um, there would be no project bikes. Oh, no project bikes. I'd have a lot less stress. Um, but also there could be less trips because um, the patronage have actually given me money and uh, sort of thing. And I'm, I plan to spend it all. I've spent it all this month on um, tickets for things. Uh, but anyway, yes, I, I plan to do a lot of camping this year. And I think if you've never tried camping before, it's not a cheap barrier to entry. That's the only downside. Because if you buy all the kit, you go camping and you don't like it, that's a lot of money you could spend. So like I say, if you're going to try camping this year on motorbikes and you've never done it before, sleeping bag, sleeping mat, inflatable one. I prefer inflatable one. They're not as warm, but you can get them for about 20 quid, if that, and they pack down sort of smallish. You can pump them up off on the bike, or if you're like me, if you've got a good set of lungs, you can pump them up manually. I prefer, I do it manually because it means that I don't have to carry a pump. Um, Airbed, sleeping bag, and a tent. That's all you really need. You don't need anything else. You don't need cooking equipment. I know people like to get all the cooking equipment and get their jet boiled and stuff like that. You don't need any of that. I've done trips where I don't carry it with me at all. I've done trips where I carry my small one just to boil water in the morning. I, I've done trips where I've carried everything. It depends what sort of camping I'm doing. Camping with friends, I'll bring my bigger camping kit because I know that I'll end up doing some of the cooking. If I'm traveling on my own, I'll either carry the small one or none at all. Because if we're staying at a certain pub, then you've got food taken care for you. It's not really that bad. But that's the easiest thing to do. Go camping one night somewhere very close or a campsite that has a pub or is at a pub. And then you don't need to carry a lot of your things. You can carry anything on one roll bag. Um, I did a camping trip last year to Exmoor. Was it last year or the year before? Year before to Exmoor for one night camping. Um, and all I had was a roll bag and I didn't even have a backpack and they looked at me going how could you ca get away with carrying so less and like I've got my bottle of water in my bottle holder I've got my pint in my thing and, and I just camped in, on Exmoor for a night it was uh, rather nice bit of hard work on the 250 hence why I've got the nice uh, BMW on the road and I've well I've got rid of the 250 now and I've got the uh, thing right so that's I guess my enthusiasm for camping anyway um the fact that you can get away for relatively cheap for the one night here or there camping trips this year i've got a few planned so i hope um i bring you all of them to the youtube channel in some sort of form of video anyway that's it for this section of the podcast now i guess on to the other section of the podcast hotels and their nightmares um like i say i used to work in hotels and so I used to get massive discounts. Um, now, the problem is when you uh, move up the ranks in hotels, you end up becoming a duty manager or a shift manager or whatever. Uh, different places call it different names. It is duty manager. You are responsible for a lot of things. Um, uh, crises happen. Crises manuals can be outdated, which is what I found one night. Um, 
So basically when you have a crisis that happens, you can, you, you have to deal with it. Now usually, and in most places, there's a crisis manual and it will tell you the step-by-step -step procedure. Basically it's like a long checklist of things you need to do to solve this crisis. It's very easy to do. Um, literally following a checklist. So I had a problem where the kitchen had lost power. We're talking no lights, no gas, because if you lose electrics in a kitchen, the gas automatically cuts off as well because it doesn't like it. Um, it does it as a safety precaution, so it shuts the gas off as well. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. So I went to the, uh, and, I've set, and, it, and it said, okay, fuses for this are in this lock cupboard in this room. So I was like, well, that's near the kitchen. So I went up there, unlocked the cupboard, looked into the, uh, the fuse box, seen the fuses were tripped, um, flip, flicked one, one by one at a time, found out that it was one of the um, lights under the um, hot thingy, uh, um, isolated that, as in basically took that side offline, switched it off. That's fine, you've got the other side to hot paint food. Right, now could we turn the gas back on? That was the biggest question. No, the gas was not coming back on. We tried hitting the gas reset switch, nothing. It's usually a big switch that you press, it resets, and it lets the gas come through again. The gas was still not reset. Nothing was reset at all. It was not doing anything. So I was looking at the, the crisis manual and I was like, this is the button, it's not working. So I called, um, I don't like calling people out of hours, um, but I said, I called up the maintenance guy and he said, well, um, you tried pressing the button. I said, yeah, it doesn't work. Oh, um, well he was out and he said, well, I guess, I don't know. Um, yeah, so he did, he had no clue. So I was like, okay. Um, so scratching my head. And of course, at that point, we've had to stop serving food because if you can't get any gas, you can't cook anything. We could cook the basic things like um, microwave jacket potatoes and stuff. Um, but that wasn't really uh, an answer, I guess, to the situation. Um, so I had a lot of complaints and they took it up with the duty manager on shift. Oh, who was that? Who was the duty manager on shift? Oh, was it me? Oh, that's great. It was me. So I had to deal with all them problems and I had to try and work out we didn't have any gas. Now, the worst thing is that um, maintenance doesn't start until seven o'clock the next morning, usually in the morning. Um, and the kitchen had no gas, which means that not only did we have no gas for the um, dinner that night, we also didn't have any gas to cook a breakfast. Um, so people who have booked into the hotel are expecting a cooked breakfast the next morning. I was like, oh no, this is dreadful. I'm the early duty manager tomorrow morning as well. So I finish here at 11 o'clock at night. And I have to be back in at seven o'clock in the morning. So I have to deal with the same guests complaining to me last night and they're complaining to, and they're going to be complaining to me in the morning um, with the same thing. So I left notes for the restaurant staff saying continental, continental, continental. 
We called the breakfast chef saying, tomorrow morning continental only. You can't do anything. Like the other, like gas doesn't work, nothing works. Anyway, seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, so 11 o'clock at night, I went home knowing full well that I would have a lot of complaints on my hand in the morning. I mean, continental breakfast is not bad because you still get, um, we still we still could do some pastries because that wasn't too bad because we had ready made ones done up. So that wasn't too bad. We still had pastries from the day before. So that's okay because they're all cooked off the day before usually. So we still had pastries. We still had croissants. We still had toast. All the toast that you could want. We had all the cereals. We had all the, um, you know, jams. Um, and you also still had um, all the fruits, like cold fruit selection. You know, bananas, apples, um, melon. Um, what else do people have? You know, strawberries. Um, all the fruity bits are still there. All the... Um, you know, mango salad and um, the weird breakfast stuff that people have. Um, prunes, that's it, prunes and horrible stuff like that. Anyway, so we have all of that. Just no deep fried fatty foods, no sausages, no hash browns. Oh, nice hash brown. Um, no hash browns, nothing like that. So next morning, of course, I had a lot of complaints. And at that point, I just basically instructed reception, anyone coming and complains about the breakfast, just give them a full refund. Nope, that's it. And and just leave the documents to the side. And I'll sign them later. Because I'm going to get a lot of these tomorrow morning. I don't really want to... And I, and I can't be dealing with every single one. Because there's going to be a lot. And there was a lot. There was a lot, a lot, a lot. Anyway. It all happened. I got lots of... I, th I think I had to deal with a couple of guests. But... Uh, um, but because I was tired, because it, it was 11, you know, I had about eight hours gap between my shifts. So between going home, going to bed, waking up the next morning, cleaning myself up, having a shower, having something to eat, back in at work again. Um, because of all of that, um, I was a little bit tired because that's maybe five hours sleep, maybe six if I was lucky. Um, Plus, if I was worried about the next day, which I think I was, so I probably didn't sleep very well. Um, someone felt sorry for me saying, you always get the bad stuff, don't you? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me unlucky because I got it at both ends. So it'd been all right if I did it on one end, but to give it on both ends was a bit... Ah. Anyway, so dealt with all the complaints. I know that the last couple um, I could have dealt with better, but I think I was tired at that point. It was like late in the morning. So re breakfast was winding down and some people would come in for breakfast really late and they couldn't get their full English breakfast. They were really upset. And I was like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I just have to give a full refund. Like, I d it was like, yeah, fine, full refund. It's like, it's like, what was the problem? No, we've got, um, uh, we've got a problem with the gas in the kitchen or something like that, I said. Um, so yeah, we've got a problem with the gas in the kitchen. It's not working. Anyway, um, at... Um, after breakfast had finished, um, the uh, I caught up with the maintenance team because it was a busy morning. I caught up with the maintenance team and they said, and they said, um, right then, so can we have a look in the kitchen now that it's not busy and try to figure out why this gas is not working? He says, well, I was going to call out the engineer, but uh, that costs a lot of money. So I've got another mate coming in. So like uh, our local resident sort of someone else was coming in to look at it. 
he came in and uh, and they said, right, well, we pressed the button and it worked. And I was like, what do you mean? We pressed the button, made a massive click and it worked. So I was like, I tried pressing the button last night, didn't do anything. Oh, that's funny, it worked for us and we clicked it first try. So there's a great big button in the kitchen that was labeled like gas reset, okay? In the crisis manual, it says, press the button in the kitchen with the gas reset to reset the gas after a fire alarm or a power cut. Um, so if the fire alarm goes off, it shuts off the gas and you need to reset the button to let the gas off. If a power cut happens, for safety precautions, the gas is shut off and you need to press the button to reset the gas. This is where I didn't know and they didn't know, but the crisis manual was out of date. So I think a month prior, the uh, gas system was revamped and the button that I was looking at and what the crisis manual told me to press was moved. So for some reason that box was still there and it should have been removed, but it wasn't. It should have been taped up, um, labeled, out of action, something, but it wasn't. Even the head chef was trying to press it and he said, this is the button, this is the button. So if he's telling me this is the button and the head chef is telling me this is the button and the crisis manual is telling me this is the button, I'm gonna press this button. Crisis manual should have been updated because the button was now relocated into a different room um, in the basement. And I was like, so the one that's actually by where the main gas line comes in, that's now where the button is. Yep. But no one updated the crisis manual. Ah. Um, so I, not my fault. I did everything according to the book. The checklist was wrong and wasn't updated. That probably cost quite a lot of money as well. That's a lot of people we refunded breakfast for. Um, I was um, questioned by head office, I remember. Just just a, a little one saying, uh, why did you refund all the breakfasts? No gas. Couldn't we get gas on? Nope. Why couldn't we get gas on? Crisis manual was in... Um, was not updated. I believe the uh, general manager got a nasty email um, from uh, the people at head office saying, you know you cost us quite a lot of money doing that, um, not doing, not updating your crisis manual. Um, not sure exactly um, who was to blame, possibly the maintenance for not informing anyone that it had changed, because if the head chef didn't know, the head chef really liked to know what was going on in his kitchen. Um, but I think they did the work when he was on holiday or something and forgot to question it. Anyway, I hope you're I hope you find that funny, laughing at my expense. I will end the podcast here. Thank you very much for listening, and uh I will catch you soon. Thank you for listening. Uh goodbye.